And today I'm with Tushar Makija. Super happy to have you here, my friend. Good to see you. Very good to see you, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Excited it's fun, isn't it? We were just reflecting on how we got to know each other. So we're recording this in 2021. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the year, but, but we met at a sales hacker conference you reminded me in North Beach in the Bay Area. Do you yes. remember the year that would have been? It was one of Max Altshuler's first ones. So I'm guessing... Yes. 14, 20, 2014. 14, I um, think so. I think yes. so. I remember because Jason Lincoln was also speaking at that was before he really got Sasta going. So mm -hmm. uh, we've had a bit of a run together. Uh, that's, that's when we met. And today we're going to talk about your journey from employee, a big company, VMware, through to entrepreneurship because you're doing your own thing again. This is your second time. So uh, looking forward to chat about that. Um, it was so over a decade ago, you had your first entrepreneurial experience. Mm -hmm. uh, you left VMware to co-found StockEasy, right? Which was a social investing platform to help investors collaborate. And I think the first part of our chat today, I really want to talk to the people who are thinking about leaving their enterprise role. It might be at SAP or Workday or you know Salesforce even with great benefits and salary and all that good stuff. I would love for you to share your, your thoughts on sort of the expectations you had leaving VMware versus the reality during that transition. What was it like? So the, the reality was much different and harder than uh, the expectations. But I think the way we started was, um, this was, so I, I joined VMware in 2006. I was early 500, 600 employees. This was pre-IPO. Just surrounded myself with so many interesting people. And over the years, I, I attribute my entrepreneurial journey start to my first manager. She lives in Sweden now. Her name is Victoria Wallström. And she was always telling me that, Tushar, you feel misplaced in this large organization because you like to go into these meetings and fight for projects. You don't really follow the rules that we are setting for you. And VMware was becoming a big company. And she constantly said, is that, do you really want to be an engineer all your life or what do you want to do? And then my two uh, housemates at that time, in which we went to school together, we were just looking to do, not follow the same path, which is we come from India, we get a master's degree in engineering, and then we become an engineer. And then the whole process is you'll get married, you'll buy a house in San Mateo somewhere, and you'll have kids. And all three of us were really scared about that. So I think that's how we started saying that, how do we break away? Oh, you, if you want to get into startups, then you should do an MBA. That was, I think, or you have to be like some brilliant person with some idea. So I think we thought we were brilliant and we had an idea. And uh, StockEasy is very similar to what you would say today. A public.com is that people can go and talk about what they are investing in and actually can invest. But I think we were early. And um, so the expectation was, hey, we'll get funding. We will be able to build. Uh, and... Uh, our product will be used by all the people in the world and we'll become super rich. That was yeah, the- And then here's the thing, you're coming from VMware. So surely when those venture capitalists find out that we're from VMware, they'll just be throwing money at us, right? Uh, yes, that was, I mean, that was the hope, but actually I don't think, uh, I didn't get, there was only one VC who gave me a meeting. That's it. Uh, I didn't know how to pitch to VCs, but he was very kind. And after multiple emails, so that's that's how I knew that I was good at cold outreach. But after multiple emails, he said, well, I'll listen to your idea. He was an investor in Seeking Alpha. 
which was also doing stock investing insights at that time, it's still running very strong. And um, so we reached out to him and he gave us, and he was very clear and said, this is not a venture funded idea at all. But if you all want to do it, you should. So I think our, our, we realized very quickly was that I wanted to learn how to do a business of sorts, not really a startup. I'm the only, only non-business person in my family because everybody else runs a business. My sister's a doctor, I'm an engineer. Um, but we wanted to go and do that. The other co-founder wanted to learn how to build distributed databases. And the third co-founder wanted to become a web developer. And we were not getting what we really wanted at VMware. So we decided to go and start our own company. But uh, we failed. We failed really hard in two years. Uh, but we got, we built a website, we got customers, we started selling something online, we made some good connections. So if anybody who is trying to evaluate moving a big company, just understand there is a risk. But if you're ready to take a bet on yourself, it is really rewarding. And I think it's now easier than it was back in 2008 or 2010. So I agree more. And, I, and so I love your perspective on this. Whenever people talk to me about that, I ask them this question, regardless of your life stage, uh, are you able to fund an adequate lifestyle for at least 18 months yourself? Can you do that? And, you know, I think you could argue 18 months, two years, one year, whatever. But for me, I, I reckon a year and a half such that you can get out there find all the unknown unknowns mm -hmm. because you're not going to raise money as quickly as you think you are. So can you keep your partner, your family, or even if you're by yourself, your, your, your own situation intact during that time? And I also say to people, if you have a hobby or you're learning something, double down on that because that's something you can control. If you're learning a language, a sport, how to do clay pottery, you can feel that sense of achievement and mastery with that because I can almost guarantee you're going to have multiple waves of up and down emotionally as you're trying to figure out things. And it's nice to have something that you're winning at. What do you think of that? And do you have any other suggestions? So I think that 18 year, 18 month runway makes a lot of sense. I think it is less, um, you don't want to be in a, you're going to be hit by so many unknowns at you that you do want something known is that I can support my lifestyle or I can support the people that are. So if you're married and if, you're, if your spouse is uh, working, that's a big plus. Um, when I started my current company, I'm very lucky that my spouse works for a large company and she can at least provide the health benefits, which are very expensive in this country. Uh, so I, I think I think that's a 18 month is a good window. And the sense of achievement, uh, I didn't have that at that time. If I go back, I didn't have any extra hobby. It was just that we started when moonlighting on our project and once it got some traction, I left my job. Um, but in hindsight, I think that would make sense because what are you doing? At, there are so many failures that can hit you. There are so many disappointments that can hit you. You're learning every day. So maybe doing something that actually if you're doing a hobby or something that gives you that extra happiness is good. For me now, it's my uh, two-year-old daughter. She is my happiness. Uh, so every time I'm disappointed or I, I don't get what, I'm, what I was hoping as a desired outcome, uh, she, she makes me happy. But yeah, we, it does make sense on what you just said. But yeah, 18 months is a good number for you to have that much saved yeah. before you take the leap.
a lot of folk, what I say to a lot of young folks um, who may not yet have, you know, built up a huge nest egg is, you know, the, the magic of or the freedom you want is the ability to have elastic demand or consumption, right? So that if, you know, if you're earning $100,000 at a wonderful corporate job, if you can survive on $50,000, that's a superpower, uh, because now you've got freedom. Now, as you get older and you take on more responsibilities to support those around you, if you've got a mortgage that requires you to put five, six, seven thousand dollars a month out just on the mortgage, you've got fewer options, right? And so I always yeah. say to young folks, if you can possibly keep yourself out of debt while you're young, it just gives you so much more runway and, and flexibility uh, as you go on. And I would just say that taking a bet on yourself, and if you if you want to commit to starting something, evaluating something, trying something out, um, whether you're alone or if you have another co-founder to do it with, you should definitely try it. Because even if the idea doesn't work out, you do come out as a more refined, better, augmented person. Um, and uh, new opportunities and new things open up for you because entrepreneurship just throws you at the deep end of all the problems that could hit you at the same time. Uh, so it's, it's the best MBA to be had without accumulating $200,000 of debt. So couldn't, couldn't agree more. In fact, I was listening to uh, Scott Galloway earlier today, and he was talking about the fact that if we're going to grow, and in fact, for our personal well-being and longevity, turns out people will live longer, we need to push ourselves through our uncomfortableness. If, you know, should mm -hmm. I bother going to see Trisha tonight at those networking drinks? Oh, it's a bit tight do it, you know, do take it. the risk and start a company, just do it. Why? Because, you know, that's how we grow and we build these networks and relationships that nourish us uh, as we get older, you know, uh, loneliness is such an affliction as we get older, right? And the people that tend to be most um, physically and mentally active are those that have great diverse networks of people uh, that they stay connected to, you know? And I wanna come back to you later in our chat about some of the lessons you're taking from that time into your new uh, entrepreneurial experience because you've, you've recently uh, started another business, which is exciting. But maybe we could talk about um, uh, probably the next pivotal role in my mind that you had, which was, um, taking on the role at HelpShift. And when you left, you had a fantastic title, your VP Revenue, but you started there very early on. You were there six years. Um, mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, uh, it's a, an, an AI-powered customer service platform, still doing very well today. And I'd love to share, hear a little bit about your personal journey because you started early. Let's talk about what you, how that happened. Uh, and sort of how you grew the, 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 the business up. And at some point, I know you, you had a, a former colleague of mine, Linda Crawford, uh, who was, I was, had the privilege of being at Salesforce when she was there. Unbelievable pedigree. She was a, a VP at Siebel Systems slash Oracle, an EVP at Salesforce, and then was CRO at Optimizer. You got an opportunity to work with her and we should talk about that. But can you walk us through, how did you meet HelpShift and, and sort of what was your journey like over those six years? So I would say that whatever I am today, and uh, whatever future uh, growth or good things I would do, uh, help shift is the pivotal part of that. And uh, again, going back to what you had just mentioned is that if you push the envelope and go and get to the uncomfortable things, there is a reward at the end. That's how I found help shift. Uh, while I was doing Stock Easy, uh, I got introduced to the founders of HelpShift, who were also based in India at that time, we hit it off and they said, well, 
We are building this new product, which is going to compete with Zendesk and it's going to be another customer service platform. And I didn't know a lot about uh, SaaS or selling at that point in time, but I was just like, oh, this is great. Uh, let Keep me posted. So I stayed in touch with them. And after they raised their seed round, that was early 2012, I reached out. I still remember meeting the CEO at a dim sums place in um, San Mateo. And we were just catching up. And I was like, how do I ask him that I want a job? Before I could ask him, he asked me, he's like, hey, uh, we were thinking of uh, hiring someone to do sales and give demos. And um, you're an engineer. This is a technical product and you can explain things well. I'm like, yes. I didn't ask how much money I'll make. I don't know how to put equity. I would get, um, I just said yes. Uh, so it was very opportunistic. And I would say alignment of all the good stars and uh, luck that I got into help shift. Um, and uh, I think... I, I give a lot of credit to um, the material that was put online by, say, Jason Lemkin and others who were contributing and talking about SaaS. That's how we learned. I learned pretty much everything in the beginning. What questions you should ask when you interview people? What, uh, how should you think about ARR and what is what should be quotas? So thank you, and it's a shout out to everybody who who contributes and teaches the world now through, through the internet. And um, the journey was, so we went from, in four years, we went from zero to 20 million ARR. And the last 10 million came under the leadership of Linda Crawford. Um, and that was just amazing. I think before she joined, we were, we were doing things, but I think there was, there was no process. I mean, I know you you talk about process a lot when you teach your courses, and I didn't. I think I was maybe you had not started your coursework till then because I had not taken the course. So um, she brought in all the process in terms of annual contracts, um, working, and uh, you know upfront payments, and how should you think about pricing multi-year deals. So when she joined in 2017 in October, we were an eight million dollar business. And I was there for exactly one year till late. And when I left in October, 2018, we were an $18 million business. So she taught us a lot. And I think the business owes a lot to her. And uh, so this was early. So we, at HelpShip, we raised a seed round and then we got a TechCrunch article. And on that same day, uh, close to thousand people signed up on our website because we had this trial thing going on. And um, my first role literally at HelpShift was being an SDR qualifying all of these different leads that came in. So I can remember the first year was all about talking to close to the 1000 people that are signed up and trying to see who would convert as an early customer. So I think the best education on customer product fit, who is your early adopter, who is not a fit. I think that was a great learning. So. In the first year, we went from zero to 1 million in ARR, and that came from one customer who quickly took us and signed a large contract. It was the world's largest gaming company. Then we went from one to 4 million ARR in the next year. So I didn't know about triple, triple, or double, you know, uh, triple, triple, double, double, but at least we started off pretty well. And it was all about how can we get the right people at the right time 
So to show a lot of a lot of times, uh, in fact, more often than not, uh, early uh, sales or revenue leadership uh, comes into an organization. And then at some point in the development, oftentimes that it's at five million revenue, sometimes as late as $10 million in revenue, they'll bring in, you know, adult supervision, as some people will pejoratively mm -hmm. say it, you know, they'll bring in someone from Salesforce, from SAP, so, so hubs, big company to come in and really take it to the next level. It might be in preparation for going to a Series C, Series D, or even somebody who they think can take it through to IPO, depending. Um, and that can be quite challenging and confronting for somebody, right? It's like, well, hang on a second. I was here early, and why am, aren't I be giving that opportunity? And I have a perspective on the opportunities for personal growth and development that affords you. But what was your experience? Like, how did you think about it when Linda came in? And then what actually happened? I love your perspective. So I think Linda was coming in as our new CEO. Uh, and not just a revenue leader in the company. So I'll be honest. Um, I was part of the, I was part of the interview panel that was interviewing our new CEO, and uh, I was very scared. I was like, okay, this is going to mark my end in this company because, well, adult supervision is coming, and Linda is going to bring all her people from Salesforce. I and mean, isn't that natural? That's what we hear. Uh, but I think what I give a lot of credit to Linda is that as soon as she came in, she made it really, really clear is that Tushar, this is what success looks like. This is what good looks like. And if you are delivering on the good, you are going to grow and I'm going to support you. If that's not, this is business. And then you're going to go <laughs> or I'm going to bring someone on top of you. And uh, I think setting up that expectation to begin with was perfect because now I know what what is my path and what I need to do to continue to deliver on it. So there was nothing that was hidden or just not set in. Like there was no, okay, like we did our first V2 mom and it was very clear. Tushar, this is your V2 mom, which is like the OKR version of Salesforce. And if you hit your OKRs, you continue to grow in this company. If you don't hit the OKR, then we're going we're gonna to make a change. And uh, I think she was true to that. Um, and it was not just setting the goals. She also realized that this is not Salesforce. She has to coach and educate people. So the another good thing that experience was so good was that she surrounded us as a company with the right leadership in customer success, in um, uh, solutions engineering that actually took a lot, and marketing that took a lot of load off me. And she said, Tushar, you are the VP of sales who's got this one number and you must go hit that number. And I think that also really helped in me being focused and uh, just delivering on the goals that I'm set up to do rather than focusing on a lot of things. Because still she came, I had this hybrid role of 35 people reported into me. PDRs reported into me, AEs reported into me, customer success reported into me. The whole revenue function was mine. But I think at that scale of the business, it was not a good idea to do that. Um, I was there for exactly one year. Uh, after Linda joined, so I did leave after that. But it was not because um, it was not because I was unhappy or anything. It was truly because I felt that I am better off working at a younger company and doing the journey from zero to ten rather than being part of the journey from twenty that eighteen to fifty. So again, that was the good realization that came from clear communication and goal setting, where she said to Shar. This is the next path. 2019 is going to look like this. Are you up for it? And I was like, I don't think so. I want to do that. Um, so that brought an end to the amazing six years that helped shift. That's fantastic. In fact, um, uh, that, that's something I like to tell people about is making sure that every year we understand 
why we're picking the team, what is the game we're playing? And at some yeah. point the game's going to change and you're not the right piece player to have on the field, right? And I love that she was direct about that. You feel good about it. And as long as Absolutely. those upfront expectations are set, it's perfect. So maybe just very briefly, we could talk about, you know, you made the move then to, to Airbase, which is a spend mm-hmm. management platform. And you had, because you, <laughs> you're a glutton for punishment, you took on as VP sales and CS again. So you didn't have yeah. that single focus. So if I'm, a, if I'm a sales leader and I've got the opportunity to run CS as well, what should I know about that experience, do you think? Or should I be thinking about? I actually feel, so Airbase was, again, I joined very early, just to give a little more context. Airbase was around 100K in ARR at that point in time, 10 customers. For me, I think in this early journey from one to five, the revenue leader also, or the sales leader also owning customer success does make a lot of sense. Uh, And the reason I say that is because you are never selling a deal at full price. There is always this promise where you're telling your customer that, hey, we are a new product. We have solved this unmet need today, but the idea is next year, you're gonna pay us more money and the customer grows into using your product through the first year. So having, if, if you're separated at that point and someone else is using, running customer success and somebody else is running sales, I think it, it, it underserves the opportunity of growth for the company so understanding how the customers are really feeling. Because there's the real money is going to be made in year two and year three when you get those, uh, you know, fifty percent increase to your ACV from previous years, because you've actually refined the product and you built new things. Uh, one thing that is very very important is that when we are running a sales organization, we have this number in our head, and we are all focused on hitting our target. That is not how I look at customer success. There is a lot of give and there's a lot of Customer success in the early days of a, like from the zero to four or zero to five million ARR in the company is a lot about evangelism. It is more about being listening to the customer because they will tell you how this, how the product is good, how the product is bad and how the product should be. So if you, if you just look at a customer from an ACV lens or a target lens, then you're going to underserve the customer and then you're not a good customer success person or customer success leaders. So you have to think about, hey, am I going to be able to say, hey, I'm investing in this customer, which is going to pay me, say, $10,000 today in hopes of getting $20,000 next year. And I'm going to go in with this journey with them together. Um, So, and customer success people are not, they're not paid 50-50 like the salespeople. So you have to understand, and it's a little more MBO driven on the customer success side. So you also have to think about a completely different view on managing the customer success rep and not thinking of them as being an AE who's like, I hit my goal, I'm going to get my accelerator and I'm going to go home. Um, so I think that's the, it's just a mindset change. And sometimes it, it is hard to do two things at the same time. What I like about that, though, is also the additional empathy you get for the function, because many heads of sales allow bad behavior in the sales organization. They'll just sell anything that moves. But now, if you're responsible for the success of that customer, it changes your perspective. Yes, I think that's uh, that's the golden nugget that you just gave. Um, yeah, it is very important because in the early days, it's not about, uh, you know, what's it, what's the... Uh, idiom that say you're not killing the golden goose and taking all the golden eggs at the same time right you get one egg at a time and that just when 
when the when the leader of the revenue function also manages customer success, they can tell the same thing to the AEs as well, because you're the final person who's signing the contract. And if you see something that is completely out of whack that is being promised from the sales organization, you can always come and uh, avoid that. And I think um, that really helps in the early days of a company because the product is still not complete. You're selling a promise, right? Yeah. You're not selling the full product at the same time. That's very true. So to round out our chat, again, I'll, I'll point at you being a glutton for punishment. So this year in 2021, you've decided to found your own company again. Why? Because you're nuts. Uh, no, I want to yeah. know, what is it? What is it? Like, how do I know what's happening in my mind and my body that, that drives you to like, you know what? I just have this. I just have to go do this. I'd love to know how it happened for you. And we're not yet telling everybody what you're doing, but I'm going to get you back for another interview when you're, when you're public. But Talk to us about that. Why, why are you doing this? How did it happen? Um, so I think, so this is my year of turning 40 years old. Uh, and if you, if you remember earlier on, we spoke that the, the last company that I did was when I was, that was when I was 30 years old. So a lot of time has passed. Um, I, would, I would give a lot of credit to COVID uh, because you're sitting at home, you're really reevaluating your life and thinking what you want to do. And one thing that became very clear to me was um, my life changes and I become better and good things happen to me when I take, make, a, make a bet on myself. So thinking through what I wanted to do next, uh, this is a very good time to be a VP of sales. Uh, there are so many well-funded startups, they want to hire you. Uh, but so it was hard to unlock that aspect of, hey, I'll do more of what I am capable of and you know I can work at another company or start something of my own. But it came down to the fact that, uh, and this may sound cheesy, but uh, if I'm 80 years old, is what would I think of myself that would you be fully happy? And this is just for me that my happiness comes from building something of my own and this was being festering inside of me for almost a decade now. And I felt that, hey, I have that 18 month of runway. I have a spouse that can support me. Um, and I got super lucky that the person I'm starting this company with is the CTO and co-founder of my previous company, HelpShift. So there was a lot of trust and there's a lot of belief and uh, you know, you have this connection with the person that you can actually come together with and start a new company. So I think it was just alignment of all these different things. And then COVID just gave me a lot more time. Uh, we are not, we, so I went to my CEO at uh, Airbase and I told him that uh, I would like to leave and do something of my own. And he was very supportive. And that's how we started. So I left uh, my, I left my role at Airbase in Jan, 2021. And, uh, I can say that we are, we founded the company, we have been able to raise around and uh, now we are building. Um, I'm super excited for the next six months to go build and take the product to market. So, so someone's listening, they've got a burning idea, a passion, there's a problem they need fixing, but they're like, you know what? I don't know if this is a good idea that's going to work. I don't have uh -huh. a ton of money available to like, what can they do? I know you've got some thoughts on that. So I think... I always tell people that having spent the last decade as a sales leader actually serves me really well to be 
a founder. I have an engineering background, but I've not been an engineer or product person uh, for the last decade. But what I really did was I had a bunch of hunches that I would say, and I know you mentioned this also that is it a product or is it a feature? Is it a full company or is it just one feature? So that's exactly what I did. I went to the people that, so now I know how to do cold emailing. So I, so I can cold email people. I have a reasonable resume. So someone would say, oh, okay, let's give him a shot. Let's go talk to him. I actually spoke to all the customers I've sold in the past as well. So having and keeping a network is good. And I just went through that list and kept asking the same question is that, is this a product? Or is this a feature? Is this pain killer or is this vitamin? And you keep doing your discovery and keep asking why, 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 why? And eventually you will get to understand if this is a real problem or not. And I think um, my sales education served me really well to be able to ask the why constantly to come up with an idea. And I think now if you have an idea, it is not very difficult to actually go and prove if the hypothesis is true or false. So, okay, this is a good idea. We got some clarification from prospective customers. We spent $3,000 finding a designer on um, Upwork who took our idea and then made it into mocks. And they were not the prettiest looking mocks, but it was very functional, which showed a customer in a Figma environment, like how, what they would be doing in this product. And that took us like two months to go build for $3,000. And we took that to the same people who were shown interest. And after they said, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, and my co-founder doesn't like this when I ask him the question, but my sales knowledge, my sales uh, background is like, okay, how much would you pay for it? Who will be the budget holder? Is it you who's going to pay it? How is the CEO going to find value in this? Uh, so sometimes people get irritated. It's like, are you selling this already? I'm like, no, but I'm trying to vet this out. Um, and basically we recorded all these interviews and then I took snippets of these interviews, put it in a presentation and started pitching to VCs. And I'm like, hey, this is the person who would like to buy it, And this is what they said. Of course, I had taken their permission to show their snippets of videos, but by doing your early discovery, by spending a small amount of money in making these mocks, make it tangible. Uh, it just, it was, I still got a bunch of no's from VCs, don't get me wrong. Uh, but the people who, who could see this value um, quickly understood that there is a company to be made here. Okay. Um, and I think that's um, just keep doing and don't rely on, uh, don't rely on people saying, yeah, this makes sense. Ask them the why, ask them the why, ask them these questions that if you have this, how your life is going to change. And if you don't have this, how miserable is your life today? And it's an uncomfortable question for people, but uh, if they give you the answer and if the answer really is true, uh, I think you'll be able to build a good company. So I love it. I love it. So many great tips, you know, uh, and uh, if I, if I, want to pull out a couple of things for people in our two audiences today, folks who are thinking about making the leap into entrepreneurship. What I heard you say was just do it. And we talked about the sort of prerequisites for doing so and the greatness that will come out of it. You talk, We talked about having great people around you like Linda Crawford in terms of your personal development and growth. And something I want to, we haven't talked about, but I, I want to emphasize today is when you're going into a company, evaluate it first by the quality of people that will surround you. 
because right. whether or not this company is successful, that network will pay dividends for years and years, right? Uh, the example I give people today actually is a new company called qualified.com. And if you go right. and look who's working there today, the so many people that I worked with at Salesforce who went on to other great companies like Twilio and many other very successful firms. And it's that network that continues to pay dividends for them. So don't fight over your salary and your equity if there's this great, because I don't care how much you're going to pay me, but if I'm not surrounded by people that I'm going to be challenged by, learn from and grow with, not worth the time. And then the last thing I heard you say was, the, the, the barriers to entry in terms of testing a hypothesis and, and have fallen to the ground and in your situation, for $3,000, you're out there able to do customer development and discovery interviews and really validate what was valuable, you know? So, so valuable to, for, for folks listening today to Shah. Thank you so much Thank for your you. time. Will you come back for me in 2022 and share with everybody where you've got to and what this fantastic new uh, venture is? I, I, I hope so. I'm, I'm looking forward to you inviting me again. Fantastic. Thank you again, my friend. Thank you, Matt.